0: Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Let's pray. God, thank you for this great morning and the body of Christ in allowing us to be together, to worship together, and to cry out to your name together and to celebrate the salvation that you have sacrificially uh, given to us. Please help us, Lord, as we open the Word of God this morning, as we look into it. I pray that this time would also be a time of worship, that we would give our hearts to you in this time. Listen to your will, and listen to your heart, and listen to uh, the examples that we see in Scripture. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would use this to bring transformation in our lives. I pray for the Anybody in this congregation today that might not know you personally, I pray you'd speak to their heart and you'd help them to believe in you and trust in you with their heart and their life. God, thank you for your presence with us, your mercy and your grace. Let your name be glorified this morning in Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 32. And um, I would like to also ask you to pray for Pastor Adam and Randy and many of the couples in our church that are off at a marriage retreat this weekend. Um, I believe that's a, I've heard good things and going to be a very enriching time for them. So please be in prayer for them and uh, pray that they'll be safely returning to us this week. So um, we're going to dive into Genesis chapter 32 today. And uh, I want to kind of pick up where Pastor Adam left off last week, uh, talking about, Jacob and kind of his wrestling with God and his walk of faith and um, This is a really awesome story. It's a a story that um, can be a little confusing and a lot of times I think we miss the full picture because This story covers like 10 or 12 chapters and a lot of times we read the Bible We read a few chapters at a time, but uh, you'll see in here that uh, this is a story of Redemption this is a story of change Uh, it's a story of a man who uh, struggled with life, he struggled with doing things his own way, he struggled with living life uh, after, you know, according to the way he saw things and the way that he wanted to do things. Uh, he lived by his eyes and by his sight and not by faith, even though this was a guy who did believe in God, and I believe that that is uh, very possible for people to do, to believe in the existence of God yet completely miss genuine faith in God to miss the change that is necessary for salvation, to go through life believing in God and even attempting to be obedient to God at times or be religious so that we can save face or, or try to achieve our goals in life, but we completely miss the heart of God. And we see in Jacob's life where um, this seems to be his story. We see a story about a guy who... Uh, go, it goes into great detail about what his life was like before he surrendered to the lordship of God. And then we see these circumstances that take place where he finally surrenders to God. And then as we see in the rest of the book of Genesis and uh, the next several chapters that Pastor Adam's going to get into, we see how his life changes and what his life is like with God. Uh, there are some pretty amazing changes in here, and it's awesome to look at. Uh, and I'd like to point out a few of those for y'all this morning. Um... But I'd like to back up a little bit and just point out your attention to uh, Genesis chapter 27, verse 20. This is, That situation right there was where Jacob was meeting with his dad. Uh, his dad couldn't see very well, Isaac, and um, he had put animal skins on his... On his arms, so that when his dad touched him, he would feel like Esau. And he had cooked some things. His, his mom helped him with this deception, and he convinced Isaac that he was Esau. But in the midst of this case, his dad said, Hey, how is it that you've prepared the food so fast? And Jacob said to his dad, He said, uh, Because the Lord your God caused this to happen to me. It was a, it was a lie to his dad, which means he had no respect. For the God of his father, at this point, and he was not claiming him as his own God. He was specifically saying, "This is your God who did this for me." And then you see in chapter twenty-eight, verse twenty, and this is this the story where Jacob has a vision, and uh, and he's. Seeing angels ascending and descending on a ladder from heaven and god speaks to him and and god says jacob I'm gonna bless you and i'm gonna work in your life And we do see the providence of god working in jacob's life all the way through the story We see god's hand Very present in the life of a man who didn't respect or honor and he barely believed in god Which is which is a um Which is a story of god's mercy all in and of itself um, and that gives me hope and that gives, I know it gives many people hope to know that in our sin and in our struggles with life and in our failures and in our weaknesses, we serve a God and we have a God who cries out to us, who comes to us where we are and pulls us out of this. And so here he is and uh, in this situation with God, he sees his vision and he says, if God will bless me this way, then the Lord will be my God. And so he's saying, yeah, I believe in you. Obviously, I see angels and I'm seeing the manifestation of God's work right here. It's kind of hard to deny the existence of God when I'm seeing angels ascending and descending from the heaven. And I'm hearing the voice of God audibly speaking to me saying, I'm going to bless you. And he said, okay, that sounds all well and good. But as long as this actually happens, then you will be my God. So he puts conditions on his relationship with the Lord. And then you see in chapter 32, Verse 9, which is what uh, Pastor Adam covered last week, Uh, he comes up to this place where he realizes that he's about to have to meet his brother Esau. And it's been years and years and years since he's seen his brother Esau. He knows that his brother now has an army, and uh, now Jacob, he has a lot of property, he has a lot of animals, he has a lot of money, and he has a really huge family and uh, But he's pretty confident that if he meets his brother Esau, he's going to die. And that has convinced him to fall to his knees before God and acknowledge that he's helpless before God. And we see that in chapter 32, verse 9, and where he cries out. and says, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, return to your country and to your relatives, and I will prosper you. So at this point, he still is not acknowledging that the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac is also his God. And so he cries out to him, and he says, I'm worthy of the favor that you've given to me. So he recognizes that he's living after his own heart, living after his own desires, living after his own ideas, and God has is blessing him anyways. So he recognizes there's a disconnect here. He says, I realize that my life has not honored you, but yet you have shown me favor. But he, he acknowledges to God, he says, "You know, with my hand and with my staff only, I have crossed the Jordan and now I have become two companies. Deliver me, I pray. Basically saying, everything I have achieved up to this point, I realize is because of your favor, but it is also because I have fought for my own sake. And I have sought a blessing by theft, by deception, and by sheer will. And so he acknowledges that's not enough to save him from what he's about to have to deal with, with Esau. And so he's saying, save me, O God, which mirrors a lot of times the way we pray and the way we treat God. A lot of times we, we cry out to God for salvation because we don't want to go to hell and we want to go to heaven. And we cry out to God for salvation because we see fear in life and we look ahead to the future and what we might foresee to be coming down um, in our near future and we kind of worry that everything about our lives that we've worked really hard to put together just might come to pieces. And I desperately need God to help me. God, please help me. God, please hold it together. God, please save me. God, please deliver me. And what we need to be careful about is What was happening with Jacob here was that he was praying for God to save him, he was praying for God to rescue him, he was acknowledging his sin, but yet he still had not surrendered to the will of God by faith, which is something that Adam pointed out last week. So we get to chapter 32, verse 24, and what happens is uh, Jacob Starts sending out this parade of stuff to go meet his brother Esau because he's scared of his brother He thinks his brother's gonna kill him pretty sure that's gonna happen And so he decides, you know what? Maybe I can make my brother. I can appease my brother I can give him some stuff to make him happy So he starts sending out animals and he starts sending out money and gold and all kinds of gifts to give to his brother And uh, he's sending them all out and then he divides his family up into two pieces and he moves them out ahead of him and he goes and he sleeps by himself. Everybody is in front of him and he's hiding behind his stuff and his family. And so there God meets him in the middle of the night. And the way this is written, uh, it's it's not a vision like it was before when he saw the angels ascending and descending. This sounds very literal, where Jacob saw him as a man and he was able to take hold of him and wrestle with him all night long. He says in Genesis 32 verse 24, Then Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until daybreak. And when he saw that he had not prevailed against him, he touched the socket of his thigh, so that the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with him. Then he said, and this is the man he's wrestling with, said, let me go, for dawn is breaking. But he said, as Jacob, said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob... And he said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. So here we realize that this man that he's been wrestling with all night long is not just any man, it's God himself that he's wrestling with all night long. And one of the truths that I'd like to point out uh, from this story is that God responds to people who persistently seek him. God responds to people who persistently seek him. Jacob was persistently seeking God and would not let go until he received from God what only God could give. Because up to this point, he had been persistently seeking a blessing from God by trying to build it himself, by trying to make it happen himself in doing what he felt like doing along the way. And at this point in time, he finally says, "I am going to wrestle with God. I'm going to reach out and grab a hold of God, and I'm not going to let him go until he gives me a blessing that only he can give." And so what happens is Jacob wrestles with him all night long before he gets to this place where he even expresses what he wants from God. And you can imagine what was going on between Jacob and and God where there's this sort of tangling and a wrestling all night long. Uh, it seems to imply that, uh, that God was allowing Jacob to hold on so long because we know based on the theme of the word of God that God is not so powerless that he can let a man overpower him. So God is intentionally allowing Jacob to reach out and take hold of him and seek his face and seek from God what only God can give. So God is, has met him at this place And allowed Jacob to take hold of him. You can imagine Jacob is probably expressing some anger. I think that happens to us sometimes in our lives. When things don't go quite the way we expected. Or quite the way we expected God to fulfill for our lives. Maybe we expected that if we were obedient to God. If we surrendered our lives to God. If we followed God. If we believed in God. Then God would make X, Y, and Z happen for our life. But those things didn't happen. And in fact some things that we hoped would never happen have probably happened. And sometimes I think we we go to God and we reach out and we grab a hold of God and some of our first emotions that come out are probably anger and frustration and doubt and fear and struggle and we say, God, what are you doing with me? What is happening here? And I think there's a good chance that in this, throughout the course of this night, Jacob realized that his real enemy was not uh, Laban, it was not his father, it was not Esau, it was God himself. Because what was happening was Jacob was fighting against God with his life. Everything God had been calling Jacob to do, Jacob was fighting against. And so Jacob, by his own self-will, sought to grab a hold of God and continue to try to make God give him something. And I think uh, there's a good potential that uh, maybe some of us are wrestling with God because we are fighting with God and we're not walking with God. Maybe it's because we've yet to surrender to the will of God. We've yet to surrender to him by faith and say, God, your will be done in my life. I surrender to you. I need you. I trust you. Have your way with me and I will be obedient to you. And that is something that Jacob was struggling with in this moment then it says in verse 25 when he saw that he had not prevailed against him he touched the socket of his thigh so that the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with him so God reached down and he touched Jacob's thigh and he broke his hip basically or dislocated it to the point that he tore the uh, the sinew between the muscle and the bone which caused Jacob to walk with a limp from that point forward and I think sometimes when we're wrestling with God and we're fighting against God and we're trying to do our own will instead of the will of God in our lives, and we're, we're tangling with God because we want something that only God can give, yet we are still constantly trying to seek our own desires, sometimes God allows things to happen in our lives that bring brokenness to us, to the point where we finally put our hands up and say, God, if you don't bless me, I'm not going to be blessed. God, if you don't change me, I'm not going to be changed. God, I am helpless and completely in need of you and only you. I Everything that I have done up to this point has been my own effort, and I need you to change me. And so this is what he said. I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and men and have prevailed. So when Jacob persistently sought This blessing from God, God responded to Jacob out of mercy and out of grace. And I think that for us, sometimes, especially as Christians, we started out our walk with the Lord by seeking him, by surrendering to his lordship, by surrendering to him for salvation. But so many times we continue to try to live the walk of a Christian by our own efforts, by our own strength, by our own self-righteousness when we need to continue to persistently seek the God who can create those kind of changes in our lives, we need to seek God before we try to fix anything else. And maybe I think there's some people in here that may need to seek God for the first time in their life. They need to seek God for salvation and cry out to Him to be their Lord and their Savior. Maybe that's you, maybe you've been wrestling with God, maybe you you and God have been enemies all this time because maybe you believe in God, but you've net You've yet to give him your life. The second truth that I see in here is that God changes people who persistently seek him. God changes people who persistently seek him. We see in verse 28, he said, Your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. So God takes Jacob and he says, okay, here's what I'm going to do. First of all, I've, I've broken your hip. I've gotten you to this place where you're finally putting your hands up saying, I am helpless before you and I need your salvation. And God says, I'm responding to you and I'm going to change your life. And so he begins to change Jacob's nature completely. And he identifies that by changing his name. He says, your name will no longer be Jacob, but now your name is Israel. And we've seen that a few other times in scripture. You see where uh, God took Abram and and changed his name to Abraham. God took Saul and changed his name to Paul, and all of those occurrences happen when those people encountered, encountered God in a very special way, and they received a blessing or a promise from God or a life change from God. And in this particular case, God transformed Jacob, and we see in the upcoming chapters that Jacob begins to appear to be something like a new man. He begins to reflect qualities that we haven't seen in Jacob up to this point. And so he, he strived with God and he prevailed and he, he came to know what real victory was like. Not because he fought God and actually beat God in a fight. That would be impossible. But because when he wrestled with God and when he wrestled with himself, he won the victory over this world. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, it says, For, who, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So for us, when we wrestle with God and we persistently seek the face of God and seek his salvation and seek that relationship with God, ceaselessly seeking God, God leads us to this place where he transforms us by the renewing of our mind and helps us to overcome the world and God begins to call us overwhelming conquerors in Christ Jesus. And in this blessing that he was asking for was something that only God can give. And he mentions that blessing in chapter 35 and basically it's the same blessing that he gave to Abraham and it's the same blessing that he gave to Isaac. He said, "I'm God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply, a nation and a company of you, a company of nations shall come from you." Kings shall come forth from you. The land which I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give it to you. So he gets this amazing blessing from God, this promise from God. Um, and it's, it's very similar to the blessing that God gives to us when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. If you were to go to the book of Ephesians, and you were to study Ephesians chapter 1 and 2, uh, Paul basically, he, he outlines your blessing and my blessing very specifically which is, um, which is wonderful. And if you're ever struggling in your faith as a Christian, maybe you've come to a place in your life where you have maybe not been seeking the Lord persistently. And maybe you've struggled with that change and that transformation by the renewing of your mind and you're struggling with sins of your flesh. It might be a good idea to go to Ephesians chapter 1 and 2 and really, lay, really pray over that. We see in Ephesians 1, 3, he says, Blessed... Blessed is the God of the Father of our Lord, Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And he mentions a number of those blessings. He mentions that we're called, we're adopted, we're redeemed, we're forgiven. He's lavished his love on us. He's made known to us the mystery of his will in Christ Jesus. He's given us an inheritance of eternal life. He's given us the seal of the promise of the Holy Spirit of God. He's answered our prayers. He's opened our eyes to the truth. He's filled us with the surpassing greatness of his power. He calls us his workmanship. He tells us that he has given us the surpassing riches of his grace. And he tells us that he's reconciled us with himself. He's given us bold and confident access to the throne of God. Over and over and over again in the book of Ephesians, we see our great blessing that God has poured out in our life. And I think, I know I struggle sometimes to remember that that's my identity. That that's who I am. That that's what God has changed me to be. That that is the blessing that God put in my life because I sought him for salvation by faith in Jesus Christ. And I think sometimes when we stray away from that and when we forget that we need to get back to that. And we need to remember just exactly what it is that God's done for us. But we see that God changes people who persistently seek him. And we see in chapter 33, we begin to see his attitude towards Esau, and we see some examples of this. In verse 1, it says, Then Jacob lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming, and four hundred men with him. So he divided his children among Leah and Rachel and the two maids. And he put the maids and their children in front, and Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph last. Verse 3. But he himself passed on ahead of them and bowed down to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. So this is really, really significant because previously he was sending out his family first and he was hiding in the back. Now he goes out to meet his brother and he gets his family together and he goes out first. So he's demonstrating attitudes of sacrifice for his family that he has yet to demonstrate up to this point. And then he demonstrates this attitude of humility and confession with his brother Esau. He bows down to him seven times as Esau is approaching, which is an honor that not just everybody gets. In fact, that's a typical honor for somebody who was the rightful heir to a blessing from a family. They would bow down before this person, and he knows that he took something from Esau. He knows that he deceived and he stole from Esau. And it's almost as if he is confessing to Esau and saying, I know that I have done you wrong and I deserve whatever it is that you desire to do to me at this point. And so he bows down before him. If he's going to war with his brother, that's not going to be how he approaches his brother. He's not going to lay down on the ground and give his brother an opportunity. But this time he lays down on the ground seven times, bows before him, And then over and over again in chapter 33, he calls him your servant, or he calls himself. Jacob refers to himself as Esau's servant. And he refers to Esau as his lord or um, his boss, somebody that he's going to serve with his life. And so they have this meeting. But what's really amazing in verse 4 is we see the attitude that was completely unexpected by Jacob. Jacob was expecting to go to war with his brother. He was expecting his brother to be really angry with him. He was expecting his brother to potentially kill him. And this is the response of his brother. Then Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him. And they wept. And he lifted his eyes and saw the woman with the children and said, Who are these with you? So he said, The children whom, you, whom God has graciously given your servant." So Esau demonstrates his attitude of forgiveness and this attitude of favor that Jacob had just experienced from his God. He just experienced from God a hand of favor and a hand of salvation and a hand of forgiveness from God that he did not deserve. And here he is looking at a man that he wronged so many times and this man is willing to demonstrate that same favor and that same forgiveness that God had demonstrated to Jacob. That's why later on in verse Ten, Jacob said, no, please, now, if I have found favor in your sight, then take my present from my hand, for I see your face as one sees the face of God. He recognized in his brother the favor that he had just witnessed from God. And then Jacob said, and you know, what's really awesome is Jacob began to worship God when Esau said, hey, who are all these people that are with you? And he said, these are my kids. And I got a lot of them, right? And so he's got, he had 12 kids and multiple wives. And uh, he said, all these are people, God has given me these and has blessed me with these. And so there he is at this point worshiping God for something that God did. And what's really awesome is that now he's giving a gift and an offering to his brother, not out of obligation, but out of a willingness and a, heart of, uh, and a heart of love towards his brother, which is something that he had not demonstrated up to this point. Jacob, the reason that he was giving the blessing at first was because he was afraid that his brother was going to be angry, so he thought that maybe if he gave him enough stuff, that his brother would be happy. And I think we do that with God many times. We feel like we can give God enough stuff. We feel like we can do enough things for God that we can make him happy. And God shows us that all the things that we can do in life, all the righteousness that we can muster up in our own effort is not enough to make God happy. Only by the turning away of his wrath, by the blood of Jesus Christ, can God look upon us with favor and with pleasure. And so now that he has received forgiveness that he doesn't deserve, Esau says, hey, what's the deal with all this stuff? Why are you giving me all this stuff? And uh, Jacob's like, I want you to have it. And he's like, he's like, well, I've got plenty. And that word plenty that Esau used right there um, means basically he was kind of, it's a reference to all of his stuff. It actually is a Hebrew word that refers to a city that Esau owned. He said, I have, I have everything I need. Why would you give me all this stuff? And so Jacob says, now I want you to have it. He says, no, please, now, if I have found favor in your sight, then take my present from my hand. So now he's offering something to Esau because he loves his brother, not because he fears his brother. And I think many times when we offer things to God, when we give our lives to God, sometimes it's because we fear God, not because we love God. When we offer our life in obedience to God, it's because we're afraid that God's angry with us, and it's not because we want to show God our faithfulness and our love and our loyalty to Him as somebody that He's changed and He's saved and He's transformed. That's the difference between salvation by trying to earn your salvation by doing good deeds um, and doing good deeds because you are saved. Sometimes we feel like we can do enough to please God and we just can't. So God looks at us through the righteousness of his son Jesus Christ and he sees the righteousness of his son Jesus Christ and Jesus alone. But because of that transformation and the new heart that we have, we have a heart of love and an overwhelming joy because of the forgiveness that God's given to us. And now the obedience that we show to God and, and the attitudes of Christ that we want to demonstrate in our life should come from a heart of love. Because we are Christians, because we love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and strength, we should demonstrate that love by obedience and by mirroring the attitude of Christ like um, sacrifice and confession and humility and worship and giving and, and contentment because he said, in verse, he said in verse 11, please take my gift which had been brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me because I have plenty. Now Jacob uses the word plenty, but it's not the same Hebrew word. This time when he uses the word plenty, uh, Jacob, that word means all. I have everything I need. I am complete. Esau was referring to all the stuff that he had. Jacob was referring to as God. He's saying, I've been changed by God and I have all that I need. God has replaced my want and my selfishness and my craving for vainglory with contentment. I have all that I need in this life. I don't need any of this stuff anymore. So, Esau, you can have it. And I think as a Christian, I go back and forth between times in my life when I am content and I am satisfied with the life that God's given to me, and then I go sometimes into seasons of my life where I'm very not content, and I continue to struggle and crave after the things of this world. But then the last thing that in this point right here is we see that in chapter 35, verse 2, Jacob said to his household, this is a couple chapters later, Jacob said to his household, put away the foreign gods which are among you. Purify yourselves and change your garments. Let us arise and go to Bethel and I will make an altar there to God. So Jacob is continuing to pursue repentance in his life from the sins of his old life. Just like Paul said in the book of Corinthians that we're supposed to take off the old garments of this flesh and this sinful life that we used to live and put on the new garments of righteousness in Christ Jesus. We are to continue to fight our battle against the flesh. In the book of Galatians, Paul talks about uh, the battle that we have with ourself. We have our spirit that has now been changed. Our nature has been changed. We were at one time, our nature, we were children of wrath, but now we have been changed and our children of God. Now we have the blessing of God, but we live in this flesh That is still cursed by the sin of this world. And so Paul says some of these days you're going to walk in the spirit and do the things of the spirit. And some days you're going to walk in the flesh and do the things of the flesh. And that is why we need to persistently seek our God. Because he is the one that changes our hearts and our actions. Paul wrestled in about four or five chapters in the book of Romans. Chapter uh, 5, 6, 7, 8, and 9. In the book of Romans, he kind of goes through this journey in his mind. He's saying, what's, what's the deal with me and my heart and me and my flesh? And he's saying, part of me loves the Lord. I know I love the Lord and I want to be obedient to the Lord. But then I do the things that I don't want to do, which is sinful and part of my flesh. And he says, man, it would be so much better if God would just take me out of this world so that I would stop living by my flesh. But then he says, but I also know why God has me on this world because the life that he's changed, He's now transformed into something that he wants to use to bring him glory on this planet. So he's like, on one hand, I want to go to heaven. The next hand, I need to stay here. I know I need to stay. So what do I do? And he says, is is there even any hope for this flesh that I live in? Is there any hope for me to change this? And he concludes at the end of that discussion with himself and with God that there is hope for his flesh. There is hope for transformation um, while he lives this life. And that change will only come by him seeking Jesus Christ and walking in the Spirit of God. So this is the victory, overcoming the world, persistent pursuit of Jesus Christ as a Christian. This is what we need. Now we see in chapter 34, he continued to struggle. God led him, God convicted him and led him to repent because, Pastor Adam's gonna talk about this next week or the week after probably, but he, um, uh, his daughter, one of the, uh, the sister of the brothers, um, uh, was abused by, um, by somebody. And uh, he waited to talk about it out loud until, his brother, until the boys had come in and could overhear. I think there's a good chance that he knew what his brothers or his sons were going to do when they found out that their sister was abused. And so then the rest of the chapter goes into great detail about the horrible thing that the brothers did to the enemy. Because of what they did to his sister. And uh, this was grievous in the sight of God and in the sight of the people. And, he, and even in Jacob, I don't think he realized what he was asking for when he did this. And so God led him in chapter 35 to repent. He convicted him in his heart. And as Christians, we do struggle with the sins of our past. And unfortunately, our children struggle with the sins of their fathers. And these 12 boys continued to struggle with the sins of their fathers for a long time. But the great thing and the great hope we have is that um, God offers redemption. God offers this story of forgiveness and this story of favor to everyone individually. An opportunity for this salvation. There are many days, many nights, I, I, um, I go and I pray for my children. When I'm putting them to bed and I'm, I'm praying over them that God would work in their life and speak to their heart. And there's a lot of days I pray, God, will you please help make me a good daddy? Please help me to be a good husband that will lead them to the Lord, that they do not have to suffer the sins of their father. There's a lot of days that I'm scared to death that my kids are going to struggle with the same sins I struggled with. And the only hope I have, because I know I can't, I know I can't, you know, I can change me, but I can't change them. So the hope I have is that one day they will meet Jesus and they will be transformed like Jacob was, and as they wrestle with their flesh, they will find redemption and hope. So the last truth I'd like to share, and this one is very encouraging to me. God reminds those who persistently seek him that he is their God. God reminds those who persistently seek him that he is their God. You see in chapter 32, verse 30. Jacob named that place Peniel, for, for he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life is has been preserved. So after this encounter with God, Jacob meets God and wrestles with God and God blesses him and changes his name and changes his nature and begins this heart change in Jacob. And now Jacob changes the name of this spot by the side of the river. He just gives it a new name and that name means the face of God because there he saw the face of God because he wanted, every time that he visited that place, he wanted that place to be a reminder of what God had done in his life. That little spot... By the side of the river became a memorial to remind him of that moment when he was closest with God. So that if he ever strayed and if he ever faltered in his faith, he could go back to that spot and remember and repent and return to the Lord. In fact, God sends him back to that spot later in chapter 35. Says you need to go back over there and remember that I'm your God. You're not the old man that you used to be. So you need to remember that and you need to get back to that. And so it happens again. There's another memorial that's established in verse 32. Therefore, to this day, the sons of Israel did not eat the sinew of the hip, which is on the socket of the thigh because he touched the socket of Jacob's thigh in the sinew of the hip. Now, that wasn't meant to be a superstitious thing that they were afraid of eating the sinew of the hip uh, because maybe God was going to break their hip or something like that. But it was more of a memorial that they set up to constantly remind them that when they would kill an animal for sacrificing it or for eating it with their families, that they would always leave that part of the meat alone because they wanted to use that as an opportunity to remember this moment where God wrestled with a man and saved him and transformed him and changed his nature and changed him and this might have been a great opportunity for Jacob when he was when he was older and his and his son comes to him maybe with him by the river or his grandson he says hey dad you know why is this place called the face of God and Jacob's to say well let me tell you this really awesome story a long time ago when I was younger I was not living for the Lord and God met me here and he He broke my hip and he changed my heart. And the boy could hear the good news of his God, of his father's God, and be given an opportunity to surrender his life to the God of his father's. And it may be that uh, throughout the generations, when children would sit around with their families and they would have the meal and then the dads would be able to say, son, daughters, do you know why we don't eat this part of the meat? Because it reminds us that God can change our hearts. And then later on in, the, in this chapter, verse, chapter 33, verse, verse 20, after this encounter with Esau, uh, he, goes to camp, he goes to this place of camp and, and he builds an altar and he calls it El Elohi Israel. El Elohi Israel, which means God, the God of Israel. Now, you have to remember that in chapter 27, he says, Because the Lord, your God, causes happen to me. In chapter 28, 20, he says, If God will do these things, then the, he, the Lord will be my God. And then in chapter 32, verse 9, he says, Oh God, the God of my father Abraham and the God of my father Isaac. Now he's finally at this point where he's saying, God, the God of me, my God. And what's really awesome is sometimes I forget that the God of the universe, the God who created this world and has the power to transform hearts has the power to change me and has the power to continue to help me on my daily walk of faith as I try to walk by faith and not by sight, as I try to look to God for my future, and I look to God for the future of my children, and, and I look to God for his will on how he wants me to live my life, and sometimes I get really stressed out. I, I watch the news, and I listen to what's happening in politics, and I get more discouraged every time I look at it, and, um, you know, and I, look at, you know, I look at my family, and I think, you know, by conviction, we, you know, the Lord's led us to this place where we are at. We've got four wonderful kids, and um, my wife is an awesome teacher to those kids and, um, and a wife, and, uh, I, but I realize that all it takes is one thing to go wrong, and all that could fall to pieces, you know one thing you know for you know, me to mess up. and uh, so it's easy for me to get scared, and sometimes God brings me in my heart back to those places where I saw him the closest, and he reminds me, "Jason, I'm your God, and I'm the one who changed you, not you." and And he draws me close to him, and he counsels me, and he walks with me. And you know what's unfortunately kind of sad is that um, those memorials that we have, like baptism, it's meant to be a, a testimony of what's happened in our hearts, and a reminder of what God did in our lives, the Lord's Supper, you know, it's... It's meant to be a reminder, a regular reminder of what Jesus has done for us. Every time we do that, it brings us back to that place where we remember what Christ did for us. And when our children ask us, hey, what does that bread and what does that juice mean? We don't have to say, well, just wait till you're older. We can say, let me tell you this really awesome story about Jesus, how he can save your life and how he saved my life. And that's why I drink the juice and eat the bread. And we have these memorials. But what's sad is sometimes the memorials and the things that we set up in our lives become idols instead of reminders of the one who really changed our life our religious practices in the church and and the music and the and the baptism sometimes we put more we rely more on the things that we've done for our righteousness and the fact that we come to church on a regular basis and we study our bible and we read our bible and we take communion and we've been baptized one time and Maybe two times or three times and, you know, and, and we've been, you know, we've done all these things and we put all this stock in that as, as having maybe made us righteous somehow and we forget that it's God who's changed us. And we, put, we build all those things up into idols. There was a time in the, in the book of Exodus when the people were all being poisoned because they sinned against God and God sent snakes and they were biting people and they were dying from the poison of the snakes. And so God says, I want you to build a pole and I want you to wrap a bronze you know, make a snake out of bronze and wrap it around that pole and stand it up in the middle of the camp and every time you look at it, um, then you'll be uh, cleansed of the poison that's going through your, your veins and you won't die from the poison. But it was a symbol of the salvation of God that removes the poison of sin from our lives. And the people um, were led to see the forgiveness of God in that story. But later on in history, the king I believe it was King Hezekiah that had to tear that thing down because people began to worship the stick with the snake on it instead of the God who saves the hearts. You know, sometimes we use a lot of really amazing things to help, us, help remind us of the awesome things God does for us. Even the music that we sing, they lead us to the throne of God. These awesome worship leaders that, um, that worship God in front of us so that they can take us to the throne of God. But sometimes we get tied up in the, the style and how it makes us feel, and, um, and a lot of things become idols when they should simply be reminders and tools to usher us to the throne of God who's the one who can actually create that change. So the memorials that God puts in our lives are meant to be something that God uses to remind us that he's our God and he's walking with us and he's caring for us. So, God responds to people who persistently seek him. God changes people who persistently seek him. And God reminds those who persistently seek him that he is their God. In Hosea chapter 12, verse 3, he uses Jacob as an example. And he says, In the womb, he took his brother by the heel, and in his maturity, he contended with God. Yes, he wrestled with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. He found him at Bethel, and there he spoke with us. Even the Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord is his name. Therefore, return to your God, observe kindness and justice, and wait for your God continually. The message here is to be reminded of Jacob. Hear God speaking to you, and return to the Lord your God. I would like to encourage you as a church, or as an individual, to consider your persistence in your relationship with the Lord. Just how persistent are you? I think sometimes we get a little passive and we just skate through life. But God desires that we seek Him zealously. I'd like to invite everybody to stand and bow your heads and close your eyes with me as we pray. Maybe you're at a place where you need to seek Him for salvation. Surrender to His will. For the first time in your life. Maybe you've believed in Him for a long time, but maybe you need to seek Him for salvation. Maybe you're at a place where you need to ask God to change you because you've been struggling with sin in your life as a Christian and you need change in that area of your life and you need to seek the Lord for that. Maybe you're at a place where you need to just be reminded that He is your God to continue walking by faith and to keep the faith. And not to quit. Everybody, let's, let's pray and seek the face of the Lord while we sing these songs. Lord Jesus, thank you for the body of Christ and the word of God. Please lead us and help us. Help us to obey you. But God, I pray that you will help us to see your face. We are seeking you with our hearts and with our lives. We sing these worship songs here because we're going after you. And we, we desire to praise you and worship you because you have saved our souls And we're going after you because we desire closeness with you and we desire intimacy with you and we want you to keep changing our hearts to be more like you. God, please lead us to walk by faith and not by sight. Help us to persistently seek you. Lord, if there's someone who's lost, I pray they will come and they will confess their sin and they will surrender to you as their God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen